Rods of righteousness tends to belong. So keep your love on, on. Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all his awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, bright, bright. God will never disappoint us. Isn't that a wonderful thing to understand? And the more we do understand it, the more we'll see it happen in our lives. No matter what the circumstance is, no matter what it is now, no matter what it has been in the past, we get to use the knowledge gleaned from everything for the rest of our lives. We get to see what the Lord teaches us and hold on to that and build upon it brick by brick, faith by faith, glory to glory. And it's a wonderful process of God that's always going on. The more we trust in him, the more we rely on him, the more we'll be able to see it happening. Most people know the story of David versus Goliath. But did you know that before David fought Goliath, he had to rely on his experience as a shepherd boy to convince the king, King Saul at the time, that he was the man for the job. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're getting right into the word today. We have a packed show and it's going to bless you immensely. So let's get into the word and let's just get the word flowing so that we can be blessed so that our souls get blessed. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. It says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Speaking of Goliath. And now in the previous part of the chapter, and I do encourage you to go back to 1 Samuel 17 and read it all for yourself. And then shoot us a note and let us what the let us know what the Lord shows you as you're spending that time before the Lord, gleaning these things for your own life and your own personality. But Goliath had just put on this big show and had been very imposing and very intimidating looking. And David saw him and he kind of said, "Mm -mm, let no man's heart fail because of that guy. He saw the facade and Satan is always putting forth a facade. He's always a big fat liar. And David, because God was with him, saw right through it. This, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. All Saul, all the king Saul saw was the physical appearance, were the natural circumstances. Again, David saw the spiritual matters, the, picture, the big picture through the eyes of God Almighty. And then if you jump down to verse 37, in those next couple verses, David talks about how he overcame a lion and a bear that came after his flock. And he simply dispatched them, slew them, grabbed them by the beard and slew them. And he told 
King Saul this. And then in verse 37, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David knew how he wrought those great victories. It was through the hand of God. And he also knew that because God was on his side, he was victorious, period, end of story. Why? Because God will never disappoint us. A lot of Christians have been taught about a God. We're talking today about God Almighty, the creator of the known and unknown universe, and your friend, your savior, your personal deliverer. And we're going to hear more about that today as well. It is a wonderful thing. But, but David here, he was just a shepherd boy, relying on that experience, trusting in God, knowing that it was God that delivered him out of the paw of the lion and of the bear. And so, yes, certainly this uncircumcised Philistine was just along those same lines. And so Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. And of course, we know that David did achieve that wonderful victory. So again, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17, spend some time and read through that and let us know what the Lord shows you as you do that. But here's a question for you. Do you think that when David was in that pasture with his sheep, saw that lion and the bear and just immediately rose up with that great strength and that great courage to fight for his flock, and then was victorious. Do you think that he was going, oh man, I bet this is going to prepare me for, you know, taking on a big giant one day to save all of Israel. No, he was just facing what God put in front of him right then and right there. He was just taking that opportunity to praise God, to bless God, to believe God. And then yes, he was victorious through God. And then the Lord opened the opportunities for those larger victories. See what we're doing here? The Lord builds layer upon layer and allows each of our own experiences to teach us every day. And then as we rest in him and as we seek his ways to understand what these circumstances are in our life, we will also recognize how beautifully prepared we are to handle all situations given all circumstances and face down all opposition. David simply trusted God, and we can do the same. Let's trust that God is preparing us, and that we get to use whatever the Lord gives us. See, when David was going out to face Goliath, the king gave him a bunch of armor, and again, read this for yourself, gave him a bunch of armor, and David said, nope, I can't use this stuff. I haven't proven it. He took the stuff that he used to be victorious in that battle against the lion and the bear. That was all he needed to face off against Goliath because that's what the Lord gave him. And he recognized that. And again, he also recognized that it was the Lord that gave him that victory in the first place. So surely there's no problem bigger than God. There is no problem bigger than God. And as we rest in him and rely on him and stand on God's word, we will have those same incredible victories in our lives. And we will be those with the testimony of victory in our life to help others. It's a wonderful thing. Because did you know that God does not want any of us to be disappointed, dismayed, 
or discouraged. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God always wants us to have hope, courage, and strength and great authority knowing who and what we are in his eyes. Again, King Saul just saw David as a shepherd boy. He didn't see the mighty warrior that lie within him. And that's what we get to understand is the mighty prayer warriors that lie within each of us spirit-filled Christians that we can go out and be victorious regardless of the battle. Now, as we seek God and his ways, not our ways, but God's ways, we will see this more and more in our life. Does this mean, though, that we don't suffer loss or we don't grieve? Nope. It means we're very real. And we're going to hear about that a little bit later on today. The realities of this life, they are sometimes very difficult. But God gives us the liberty to be real and feel that loss and emotion and grieve through all of it. But while we suffer loss or heartache, betrayals, and outright injustices in the flesh, sometimes the circumstances look very, very bleak in the natural. But in the spirit, we are victorious through Christ every step of the way. And as we are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the spirit, we are never disappointed, never defeated, never even diminished, or never dismayed. As we seek that higher understanding, we will understand the spiritual aspect of these matters and stand in great victory with God Almighty. And then once we do that, once we shift that understanding from having a natural understanding, just seeing things on the outward appearance, oh, you can't go fight with this guy, he's too big for you. When we, when we dislodge ourselves from that natural mindset, and start to say, okay, Lord, I only want to have your mind on these things. I want to understand things the way you see them. Then we'll, be, we'll start seeing that incredible eternal victory spill out into all aspects of our life. We can't try to put God in a box and use a natural mind to understand him. No way. That's what religious people do. That's what a lot of people do that get it all wrong. We want to shift to a spiritual mind entirely, and that happens by being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then getting in our word and reading it for ourselves and hearing what good teachers have to say and the instruction from good teachers. And if you haven't been baptized and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit quite yet, then reach out to us at getyourloveon.org. We'll help you. We have some beautiful Bible studies and really incredible teaching to usher in this profound and wondrous shift in understanding. Because, my friends, we need spiritual understanding to discern what's happening right now in this land and not be caught up in the lies that are everywhere and the, the torrent, the flood of words that are everywhere. We want God's understanding. And the more, the more we seek it, the more he'll give it to us. That's the wonderful thing about it. And here's why. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Here's why we, we need to crave this understanding. We need to seek it with everything that's in us. Lord, give me your understanding. Give me your mind. Why? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm going to encourage you to also go read that entire chapter too, Isaiah 55. It's incredible. Such encouragement. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have access to perfect understanding of God's ways. But we do need his spirit inside us to understand these things. That's the missing link for so many Christians, so many seeking God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit to understand God's thoughts and then have access to that much higher way of understanding things. And then Jeremiah 10 verse 2, it says, Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. A couple weeks ago, we heard about how we are to be separate. We had that on one of the segments, the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel. We have some beautiful messages called the Sermon on the Mount, and our friend Corey really does a wonderful job outlining how to be separate and yet still have that love and compassion for the human soul, but how we are to be separate. We're not even to learn the ways of the heathen. Well, in Isaiah, I think God made a really good case as to why we should learn his ways because they're much better. And then the ways of the heathen, they actually cause people to be dismayed. So again, if God never wants us to be discouraged or dismayed, he wants us to be strengthened and encouraged. This is a really important thing. And again, it's the reason to have that spiritual mind. And by taking on that spiritual mind, we also get to remove the natural mind, remove those old ways and remove the ways of the heathen. So how do you know the ways of the heathen versus the ways of God? It comes down to the word of God. As we seek God through his word, through the Bible, and here on Get Your Love On, we stick to the King James Version. It was the first it was the first translation without religious or political bias. It is the most pure to the original translations or the original ancient languages. So we stick to that. We simply read the word here. And then we can learn God's ways and leave off the ways of the heathen. And in Jeremiah 10, it actually says, look, don't even learn their ways. <laughs> don't learn them. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. Don't be Buffalo, don't be dismayed by what's going on around us. God knows perfectly what's going on. So that's, again, why we seek his mind and seek his ways. Now, the Hebrew meaning of the, the word dismayed, this is really interesting. It says, be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. The Hebrew meaning of the word dismayed means to break down either by violence or by fear or confusion. And again, he doesn't want us to be dismayed or discouraged. And that again is part of that definition, discouraged, beat down. God doesn't want us beaten down. He wants us rejoicing and praising him regardless of circumstance. And today we're going to hear the unchangeable power of God's election, the unchangeable power of when God's doing a work, it doesn't matter what the circumstance looks like. We just get to march through and know God is giving us the great victory through betrayal, 
through the heartache, through any loss. We'll come out on the other end of it if we stay faithful. If we walk in the spirit, we'll come out on the other end of it entirely victorious. And again, stay tuned. You will hear much more of that. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? That first, those first three words are so important. Fear thou not. It starts with us. It starts with us removing fear, removing doubt, understanding that when God says, for I am with thee, that means the creator of all eternity is backing us up 100% because God is only righteous. He is not a man that he can lie. (laughs) We have that incredible strength and that confidence as we get to know him. And so again, let's seek him. Let's leave off, you know, there's so many distractions out there, whether it be music or television or Netflix or a job that's taken up a lot of your time. All of that, distractions. The more we seek God, the more we'll understand his ways and learn those higher ways. And then know for a surety, there's no fear. We don't need to fear anything. And God says, be not dismayed. Don't let yourself get beaten down. Don't let yourself get discouraged for he is with us. He will strengthen us. us. Now, interestingly enough, here in Joshua 1 verse 9, it says, have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So Moses had just died and Joshua was thrust to the forefront as the leader. And this is what God said to him, be not dismayed, be of good courage. And then fast forward nine chapters. This is really interesting. Nine chapters later, Joshua had the experience to share that very important message. Now that message came from an angel of of God to Joshua. Here in Joshua 10, 25, it says, and Joshua said unto them, speaking of his men now, fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. So at first, the angel of God came and revealed himself to Joshua and gave this great instruction to be of good courage. And then through that process of God, through that election of God, through that work of the Lord, he was then able to bring these enemies out. And he had all of his men put their their feet on the necks of their enemies. And then he said this, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. Quite the strong statement, quite the process of God, quite the building of a leader of God. Isn't that wonderful? In 1 Chronicles 22, verse 13, it says, then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. It says we get to prosper as we take heed to these statutes and judgments that God lays out. Instruction through the word, cover to cover. We take the whole thing in and then, boom, we will be of, be strong and of good courage. 
So let's let's talk about, you know, how many times have we been disappointed in circumstance, in people? How did we handle those situations? So here's a little tip. Next time, when we feel that tug of disappointment, oh, man, gather yourself, strengthen yourself. Say, Lord, I know you're doing something in this. And take a step back. Ask God to give you that bigger, bigger picture of what he's doing to give you his way of thinking and looking at these situations and then hope in him, trust in him and let him build that brick by brick and layer upon layer. And now this applies for large and small matters from overcoming sexual abuse, mental health, addiction, and much more. The pain of the past, all of it. This is how we overcome is through the eternal victory of Jesus Christ. This generation has been lied to so many times by so many posing to have answers. They've been given the opposite of actually what God wants for us. They've been given discouragement. They've been beaten down. They've been abused. They've been dismayed in so many ways. And God wants us to have the opposite. He wants us to have strength and courage and truth. Well, one man who... He learned that the world had lied to him as well, and uh, he received Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and God healed him from all those lies. And in this case, it was actually a death sentence that was placed on him. It was called terminal cancer, and God healed him and taught him how to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so here it is. We have the whole truth, and it's from our friend, Brother Bob. Again, God healed him of terminal cancer. And his first prayer was very simple. He said, Lord, if you are a God, save my soul and let me die in peace. And uh, now we have this message from him for each one of us. So let's share it. Let's make sure that anyone who has faced lies, destruction, disappointment, or even a death sentence, hears this message from our friend, Brother Bob. My message today, I'm going to entitle it, How You Can Escape the Damnation of Hell. You know, Jesus once said to the Pharisees, How can you escape the damnation of hell? But today, my message is, How You Can Escape. I'm going to start in St. John 4. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near unto the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, you know, even though Jesus Christ was the Son of God, incarnated in flesh by the Holy Spirit, he suffered the same things in the flesh that you and I have to endure and suffer today. He got tired, he got hungry, and he got wearied, very wearied many times, and said, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. He asked this woman for a drink of the natural water. said, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, 
which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In those days, you talk about segregation, they have had it since the beginning of time. But Jesus was different. Jesus was different. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Christ today is here to give everybody that will ask him that living water, even now. I'm only using the woman of the well today as an example, Bible example, of what God has in store for you in order to deliver you from the pangs of death and hell. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? You notice her mind was natural. She had not been taught or trained in the spiritual things of God, even from the Old Testament teachings, even from the law. Said, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? You see, she knew the old scripture. She knew the Old Testament. But she had never heard or known about the Messiah or the Savior of the world that the Old Testament spoke of until this moment. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. In other words, whoever drinks of the natural water or the natural things of this life will thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Speaking of the spiritual water. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus was speaking there of the word of God. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come here. In other words, go bring your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. You see, Jesus had the discerning of the Spirit. And he knew who and what people were. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly? In other words, have I discerned you right? Didn't I speak truly to you? Don't I know who you are and what you are? In other words, he told her that she was a harlot by telling her her mind and by telling her what she had done in the past. Now here was a harlot woman at a well, yet Jesus had no respect of persons. According to the law, he wasn't even supposed to be talking to a woman of Samaria. According to the law, he wasn't even supposed to be talking to a married woman, period. But he had no respect of persons, neither do I. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Here was an ignorant and an unlearned woman, according to that day. Yet she knew by the words that Jesus spoke that he was special, that he was different, that he knew all things. You are a prophet. He said, I perceive you are a prophet. I wonder how many people today would perceive that Jesus is a prophet if he walked in the natural like he did then. I wonder how many people would be called and chosen of God through him now if he were walking in the flesh here today. She said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You see, she was religious. 
And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Watch how Jesus tore her little denominal organization up in the next verse. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me. Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, the time is coming when you won't need a mountain or a church in Jerusalem or a church anywhere else to worship me. I'll explain this in just a moment. He said, you worship, you know not what. See, he told her, you don't even know what you're worshiping. There are millions of people out in the world today and going to churches and that are religious, they don't even know what they're worshiping. They just know that they should get up on Sunday and go to church or go somewhere and worship. They know that they should do so many exercises as their worship. They know that they've got to do this and they've got to do that. Well, Jesus fixed that. He fixed it so you don't got to do anything except worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus came for, to set us free from all those forms and rituals and commandments and doctrines of men. He came to give us a personal relationship with him as the Son and God the Father. He said, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. The Jew today, according to the scripture and according to Paul's teachings, is the spirit-filled person. Because Paul said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything since Christ came and hanged on the cross to give us pure salvation through him. Neither Jew nor Greek, but the Jew today is one inwardly, the born-again Christian. I have many Jewish friends that are born again that believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They are a true Jew. I have many friends before me today that are born again with the Holy Spirit. They, some of them are Greeks. I have Greek friends. I have Italian friends. There's about every denominational person and every uh, type of person in the world today in my ministry and members of the churches that I'm pastor over. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now I'm going to tell you how to worship God in spirit and truth. Jesus said, my word, the written word here in the Bible, it is spirit and it is truth. The word of God as it's written is spirit and it is truth. Now people, if you want to escape the damnation of hell and worship God in spirit and in truth, get you a good King James version of the Bible, start reading it for yourself and believing it as it is written. And later on in the message, I will show you how to worship God in spirit and in truth. But in the meantime, I would like to give you more word. The woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Listen how Jesus answered this. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. In other words, I'm the man. Jesus said, I'm the man. I'm here now. I am talking to you now. I am the Messiah now. Jesus is still here today. He's here right now. He's the Messiah. All you have to do is open your mouth and talk to him. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? You see, nobody disputed with Jesus. Nobody. They knew, his disciples knew, that he was the Lord. 
And that's the place where I want to get God's people today, to the point where you know that Jesus is your Savior, that He is ever-present with you. The woman then left her water pot and went her way in the city and said to the men, according to the Bible, she is the first woman evangelist that went out and began to preach Christ. The first recording of the first New Testament woman evangelist. Come see a man, she said, which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Isn't this the Christ? He told me everything that I did. He told me that I'd had six husbands. He told me that I was a harlot, but he did it in such a way that it did not offend me. You see, Jesus came to save that which was lost. He didn't come to save the religious people. He didn't come to save the religious leaders. They're supposed to be saved anyhow. He came to save the simple, ordinary, everyday living soul. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. You know why he said that? It said earlier that he was wearied. And whenever a man is wearied from a journey, he is usually hungry because he spent his energies. But he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Did you know I have experienced that feeling? I have gone into churches and ministered and have seen the Lord bless the people and I wouldn't care for natural food for days because I had the blessing of God in my life. I desired the Word of God more than my natural food. Even David said that one time, said, I desire the Word of the Lord more than my natural food. This is one of the things that comes when you have true salvation, when you are close to God and are completely converted to His blessing. Therefore said His disciples to another, has any man brought him ought to eat or anything to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat or my, my food, spiritual food, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. This is the thing that I want God's people and you people in the audience to understand is that God wants you for his very own. Jesus wanted that woman at the well for his very own disciple. Therefore, he spoke to her kindly. He spoke to her in a voice and in a tone of voice that raised her spirit from her sin, that raised her mind from the natural thinking of the world. And she went out and began to speak of him. Is not this the Messiah? This man that told me ever and all that I had done in my life, is not this the Messiah? Is not this the one that we're looking for and waiting for? Is this not the deliverer? When I first came to the Lord, I went and told everybody, I have found the Lord. I have now been delivered of the f horrible feelings and the fears that I've had all my life. Jesus said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh a harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, <laughs> like that, and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Jesus was speaking of the thousands of souls that were before him in the world. He called it a harvest and a field. And he said, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. I'm sowing today. I'm sowing the word of God. Maybe you people out there 
that are being converted and will be converted and are converted will go and reap more souls and then rejoice together in the hereafter after the harvest of souls is in and the judgment has been pronounced. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reaps. I don't know how many ministers are under my ministry now, but they are sowing and reaping. I sowed first the word to them, and they went forth and reaped. I'm sowing the word of God to you people today. Now you can reap the good things of God. You can reap life eternal. He said, I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. And it said, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. You see, she began to reap already riches laid up in glory. And she said, he said, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. And that was her message. Said, I found a man that told me everything that I had done, everything that I had done in my life and has now straightened me out. So much so that I've forgotten my water pot. I've forgotten my natural work and I'm now working for the Messiah to speak of the good things that he has done. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. See, they believed the woman, then they believed him. Ladies and gentlemen, if you believe me, others will believe you, and then others will believe them. And the first thing you know, we will have a wonderful revival going in this wonderful country of ours. And he said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this in, indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. See, they made up their mind that Jesus was the Savior of the world. All you have to do to be saved in the same manner is to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and of your soul. Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. That's why I am here. God has sent me to tell you about the good things that he wants to do for you so that you can go tell others what he has done for you. When he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Wherever Jesus went, he had infallible proof that he was the Son of God, that he was the Savior, that he was able to deliver from all sin, sickness, and disease. Now here he had just delivered a harlot from her profession, and she went out and became a professor of other things, speaking of the things of God and speaking of the good things of the Son of God. Now here is a man that had a son that was down to the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except sign, you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus tested that man right there. He said, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe me. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down ere my child dies, lest my child die. Come, or my child will die. Jesus said unto him, Go your way, your son will live. Go thy way, thy son liveth.
And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. All right. Just in a matter of moments, Jesus had delivered a harlot from her harlotry and delivered a very rich man's son from death. So you see, he had no respect to persons. There is only one unpardonable sin in the world today, according to the Bible, and that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've had people to come to me and say, Reverend Taylor, I've sinned too much. I don't believe God would forgive me. But don't let a spirit tell you that. That is the spirit, a lying spirit. No man has sinned so much that God cannot forgive him except for that one sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you attribute the works of God to the devil or say that the works of God are of the devil. I will be ministering later on in some of my other specials on the tele telecast about these things. So watch for me carefully and watch the teleguide for my next telecast. In the meantime, remember, there is no sin under the heavens that God will not forgive. He is the forgiver of the murderers of fathers and mothers. It said, I will forgive even the murderers of fathers and mothers. He forgives robbery. He forgives everything except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No man or no woman has sinned so much that he will not forgive them. So don't let anybody tell you that. It's not true. That's a religious spirit talking. Don't let anybody put you down from now on. You go to Christ. You ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your soul. You don't have to be in a church to do it. You can do it wherever you are. In your home, in your car, out in the barn, in your bedroom, in your kitchen. It makes no difference. You don't even have to be in any particular uh, stance or position. Just talk to God, man to man, as you are. If you'd like an example of how to talk to God, say, Jesus, here am I, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Or, Jesus, here am I. Heal me. Heal me of this disease. It doesn't make any difference. He said, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. I am the Savior of your soul. I am the healer of your body. Just put your eternal trust in simplicity. The simpler, the better. My little son comes to me every once in a while. He's only seven. And he says, Dad, can I have this? Or can I go with you here? Or can I go with you there? And it's just so simple that I can't refuse him. I say, come on, son, let's go. Or yes, you can have it. That's the way God looks at you. In simplicity. Absolute simplicity. So people, don't wear a religion on your sleeve. Coming to God doesn't mean that you have to wear your religion on the outside. It's a personal experience between you and God. It's a personal feeling that you get. It's a personal thing just between you and God. And when you get it personal with God and get personal with God, then you are delivered from hell. It has been wonderful talking to you, ministering with you today. And my prayer is, now may God richly bless you. And there he is, Brother Bob. And as you heard, it is very simple 
and incredibly powerful. This is Get Your Love On Radio. When we serve God Almighty, the one true God, the paths in our life not only deliver us from eternal damnation, but they give us great victory, eternal victory, every step we take, no matter what it looks like to an outside observer. Because there is an unchangeable power to God's election. We learned about that last week with our beloved minister, Carol. She talked about Jacob, a patriarch in the Bible. And this week, that was part one. This week, it's, it's now part two, how Jacob skillfully and wisely avoided confrontation with his older brother, and that saved his life, how he stayed faithful, endured great outrageous loss and injustice, and yet remained faithful. So we pick up right after he avoided this confrontation with his older brother who sought to kill him. We pick up right there as our minister Carol relays some personal journeys of her own as well and resumes Jacob's mighty pilgrimage after a great victory. This is part two of the unchangeable power of God's election. I could probably take a map of the United States and just blacken it of all the highways I've been across, up and down in the cities, looking for you. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, in the land of Canaan, that's Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built an altar called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. Now see, all those journeys he had to take, he lost women. Jacob himself was extremely strong, but he lost. He lost several women during the years of these journeys. That's why he was cautious and careful. He didn't want to lose any more. And she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And verse 9, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. So he says, I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. We're kings and priests unto God, are we not? We've come out of Jacob's loins through faith. In Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was descended from all these guys. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him. Even a pillar of stone poured out a drink offering thereon. And he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. All right, here we are. They're still journeying. Here we go. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. This, all these journeys were not easy on these women. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died. Yeah, he lost, I think, at least three women along these journeys because the endurance, it was the uh, journeys of endurance like we wouldn't even know about today. 
that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave. So now he's a widower. Hmm, interesting. wonder what he's going to do. Well, Israel journeyed. He kept had to keep moving because God had told him. So he spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar, and it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land and different things happened. His sons messed around, and he had to deal with that grief. And then in verse 27, and Jacob came, finally, he came to Isaac his father, unto Mamre, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were 104 score years. That's 180 years. I mean, they had great endurance and strength in those days. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Yeah. Now we're going to skip a few chapters. It talks about the children of Esau. Now we'll go to Genesis 37. And we go to where Jacob is dwelling now in the land where his father was a stranger. He's back in the land of Canaan. It says Joseph being 17 years old. So Joseph had grown up a little here. Joseph was already 17 and feeding the flock with his brethren. And we know that Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And, you know, he, he poured his love out on Joseph and Benjamin. They were the sons of his old age. And later in Egypt, when the 12 tribes, the other sons had to go and plead, they said, look, if, if you demand, they thought that Joseph was like Pharaoh and they were making a plea. And they told Joseph, if you demand Benjamin, which he actually did, I'm not going to give you anything. You know, you can't see my face unless you bring your brother Benjamin to me. Oh, they, it stripped them of everything because they knew they were guilty in regards to Joseph. And they said, look, our father's an old man and Benjamin's the son of his old age. If you, you know, demand Benjamin, you take Benjamin away from him, my father will die. Fathers, love your sons and love your daughters because none of us knows when our time has to be. None of us. But Joseph... He loved Joseph, made him a coat of many colors, sent him to his brothers to see how they were doing, feeding the flock. And of course, Joseph has these dreams. And he just tells it straightforward. He wasn't exalted. Joseph wasn't puffed up or exalted when he had these special dreams about buying the sheaves. You know, he, they were binding sheaves in a field. This is Genesis 37, and I'm in verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, the dream I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheave arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance unto my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren, said, I've dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me, and he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Well, that actually came to pass in the process of coming into Egypt. 
and his brethren envied him. But it says his father observed the saying. So if you hear odd things from your children, better observe them because your little ones are being visited. It's good. <laughs> you know, the father, at least Jacob, at first he reacted to the dreams, but then he observed the saying, tucked it in his heart, and possibly learned quite a bit from, you know, just tucked it in his heart, and he found out it all came to pass. So now we're going to skip some chapters here. I'll kind of abbreviate. Uh, Joseph went after his brethren, found him in Dothan, and they said, oh, this dreamer comes. And they wanted to just get rid of him. They wanted to slay him and cast him into some pit. But Reuben kind of took up and said, um, no, let's not shed blood. Cast him into this, this pit that's in the wilderness. Let's lay no hand upon him that, we might, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Reuben actually wanted to let the child be delivered back to his father again. He was going to take up. But that didn't turn out that way. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Joseph had come down to see how his brethren were doing. He'd been sent there by his father. Well, they just had, they'd had enough of him and they wanted to get rid of him. So in verse 27, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Interesting. And let us, let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. So they did it. So, you know, we know the story. He's cast into this pit. The Ishmaelites come along. They sell him to the Ishmaelites who were headed into Egypt. And they uh, took his coat, Joseph's coat of many colors, dipped it in some lamb's blood or whatever, and took it to the father. What a bunch of scoundrels. What a bunch of... They cared nothing for that old man, Jacob. Jacob was an old man by now. They cared nothing for him. They were willing to lie to, keep, to, to preserve themselves and have Jacob go into a full state of mourning and over the loss of Joseph. What an incredibly horrible bunch of guys they were at that time. They took Joseph's coat and killed a kid with a goat, dipped the coat in blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And yet... In the process of election, God was behind all of this. And we find out later, Jacob, or, uh, Joseph actually declared this. It was not you that sent me, the brethren. It was not you that sent me to Egypt, but God, that a posterity may be preserved in the earth. Isn't that incredible? The election of God, the unchangeable power of God's election. You're here because God decided to preserve you and I. We're here because of God and God Almighty and the powerful preservation of his holy election. It's beyond incredible. So they present the son's coat dipped in blood, and he knew it, Jacob said. It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces, rent in pieces. And Jacob, so here's what you're allowed to do of God. If you lose somebody, okay, it was allowed. It was a process that Jacob had to go through. We all do. We're all going to lose people of our family or elders. In the process of our life, we will experience loss. There's not one of us here that won't experience loss of a family member or someone we dearly love. That's just how 
it goes on the face of the earth. So what Jacob did, he rent his clothes. He was not ashamed to give himself to a season of grief. Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. All I can say to families who are suffer suffering losses, and this is in general, this tape goes out everywhere in the land, you are allowed of God to mourn in whatever way you need to. You are allowed of God to grieve. It's a holy, godly process. We have, as spirit-filled people, we have that hope of glory, which is very great. And that helps assuage the grieving process. But give yourselves to it. Allow it. It's a perfectly natural and holy process of God. Jacob did it. And it actually helped him. You know, God settled him. And it actually helped him to endure further because he had a further work to do. It wasn't the end of his life, though it felt like it at the time. Jacob had a farther work to do beyond what he could even think or imagine. So he put sackcloth on the morn for his son many days, and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, he's just being totally honest with how his feelings were at that time. And he gave voice to it. And we can do the same. For he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus, his father wept for him, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar. So Jacob's doing his mourning, but guess what's happening with Joseph? Man, is God moving here. He goes into Egypt into the house of Potiphar. So he goes into Egypt. There was a time when he served Potiphar, but that time came to an end very quickly through the process of God because he was attacked. He was accused falsely by Potiphar's wife. And she sought occasion against Joseph, told a lie. He was totally righteous, hadn't touched her, but she claimed that he did. And of course, that made the husband very angry on the spot. Jealousy is the rage of a man. And he became very angry. And uh, without really seeing the whole thing through, he just cast Joseph into prison. So, you know, Joseph is cast into prison. And what happened there? Well, in the book of Psalms, it says the word of the, his soul came into iron. That's very interesting. And it said the word of the Lord tried him while he was in that prison. So he gets the privilege here of interpreting dreams for Pharaoh's butler and baker. And he interprets those dreams so accurately but then they, you know, the one, the, the butler was spared, the baker was hanged, but the butler forgot about it. Jacob actually, or uh, Joseph actually said, look, remember me. I've interpreted correctly for you. Remember me when you come back to Pharaoh here and start serving Pharaoh again. But it says he forgot him, said, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. But God's not over. So all of a sudden now, after two full years, Pharaoh starts having these dreams, and he is troubled by these dreams and doesn't know what they are. And we know, you know, most of you have read how he had dreams about seven cows 
some were really well-favored and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow, in a meadow, and seven other cows came up after them out of the river, and they were ill-favored and lean-fleshed. So I'm in Genesis 41, 1. And they stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river, and the ill-favored and lean-favored cows did eat up the seven well-favored and fat cows. So he awoke. And as he slept, he dreamed the second time, same dream, second time. But it was a little differently portrayed. And the second time, there were seven ears of corn that came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So then, all of a sudden, the chief butler remembers. And he says, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, and we dreamed a dream in one night. So he gets to talk right to Pharaoh and says, I recall now this man interpreted our dreams. We each dreamed according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was with us a young man, a Hebrew servant to, to the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams and so on. And it came to pass as he interpreted, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. Here we go. A life changed in the spur of a moment. He just sent him and called for him. And it happened so fast, he hardly had time to shave. Says they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his garment. That happened rapidly, because Pharaoh doesn't ordinarily wait on anybody. And came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream. There's none that can interpret it. And I've heard you, I've heard of these, that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. And notice the humility, the, the humble stance. It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. What a wise way to handle things and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm the guy that interprets dreams around here. You all need to get in touch with me. No, he did not do, did not present himself that way. That humility stood him in excellent stead. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So he tells him, tells him the dream. And here's what Joseph was able to, able to say to him. Here it is. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. And behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all of the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. And then he tells Pharaoh. So he says, let Pharaoh look out a man, discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. 
and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the land of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, and I love this passage, can we find such an one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? Well, that's what we're, we're out in the land right now, preaching the gospel, so, we, so God can find a man in whom the Spirit of God is, more than this multitude here. You all have this. But Pharaoh didn't, had never met one. He never met people like you or me. He said, can you even find such a one as this? He marveled. But we can, because we're preaching the gospel of the tidings of good news, that Jesus Christ has come to save and he's risen from the dead. Oh, Praise the Lord and hallelujah and amen. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, so he may instantly makes up his mind, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. I want that testimony to be over every single one of you, especially you that are, uh, you know, mature enough and you're in jobs. Mm -hmm. I pronounce that blessing over you. Right now, there's none so discreet and wise as thou art. And I want your employers and anybody you work for to be able to say this about you and raise your pay and promote you. Thou shalt be, and here's what Pharaoh said, thou shalt be over my house. In other words, I'm going to make you my complete manager. And according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, see, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, a type of what we wear today through the Lord, that fine linen. All the saints were arrayed in fine linen. And he put a gold chain about his neck and made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And now we're getting ready to have Jacob be able to come into this good, good land after all his journeyings and losses. Mm -hmm. Can good things happen to widows or widowers? I think so. <laughs> and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Just claim all these blessings. They're yours. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So in verse 48, he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, he laid up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. Isn't that great of the Lord to give, give, it, give him the sons while there was yet plenty? It wasn't a strain. It was a, just a total blessing. And verse 51, and Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. That means forgetting. 
He says, God has, for God, he said, he has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. It was, he gave Joseph a new mindset. That boy had grieved also, very greatly. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, and Ephraim means fruitful increase. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So, in the seven years of plenteousness, there was in the land of Egypt, and well, the, and the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come. But see, God, according to God's unchangeable power of his own election, God had a purpose for the plenteousness, and he had a total purpose for the famine. The famine brought Jacob and his tribe into Egypt. So if we think that sometimes there's a famine, a period of famine, it could be any kind of famine, like a spiritual famine or just any kind of felt famine felt in your soul, could be natural or spiritual. God always has a purpose if we trust him and lean on him and endure like Jacob and Joseph endured. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. There wasn't anywhere else Jacob could have gone. He was shut up to the faith that was yet to be revealed. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore. Then, Genesis 42, verse 1, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look one upon another? Was, they had dearth. They were just like, What are we going to do? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get down hither and buy for us, that we may live and not die. So the ten brethren go down, but Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren. See, he's in, he's, his life, it said, is bound up in this lad, the one little lad that he had left from a true marriage. And he says, I'm not going to let him go, lest peradventure mischief befall him. He was very rightly very protective over him. Mm -hmm. He didn't really have that much of a personal relationship with the other boys but he certainly did with Rachel's sons. And there was a reason for that. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among all those that came, for the famine was in all the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed themselves down before him with their faces to the earth. Well, there's the dreams the young man had. And they totally came to pass. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but he made himself strange unto them and spake roughly to them. And he said, no, you, they told him why they'd come to buy food. And he said, no, you're spies. Because he wanted to try them. He had a right to try them. They had betrayed him very harshly. So he, he says, you're going to have to bring your, your youngest brother up. Yeah. So they, they have to come back and tell Jacob this. Look, we can't, we can't go back. Now, they, he let him go back with food and stuff, but he, they had to tell Jacob, look, we, if we go back, we have to bring Benjamin. The man won't even see us unless we bring our youngest, our youngest brother Benjamin. So they have to tell him. And here's what Jacob said. 
Let me go back here just a little bit where Jacob or uh, Joseph says, Hereby shall I know that you are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me. And they did. They had to leave Simeon. And take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that you are no spies, but that you are true men. And so will I deliver you your brother and you shall traffic in the land. Okay. And verse 36, and Jacob, their father said unto them, he just flat out told him, me, you have bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, because Simeon was held back. And you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. He just felt loss upon loss upon loss. He'd lost three wonderful women. And here he's about to lose another son. It was too much. Consider now, you young ones, what your elders go through. Seek the Lord and know, and don't overdrive them. All right. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you. Jacob stood his ground, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way, in the which you go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. He just had to say it. And then he had to keep on enduring. You talk about a, a, a man of steel. So know the Lord's perimeters. You that are guiding families, you fathers over children, you children over aged parents, know God's perimeters here because they are real. You can, you can, through wisdom, prolong an elder's life, or you can cut it short, depending on how you act and what you do or don't do. We are a people that can no longer act with our own self-will. We have to act according to how the Spirit says we're to do. So, in Genesis 43, and the famine was sore in the land. So they, the, they'd eaten up the corn they'd bought out of Egypt, and they had to go again. And then there's this big, they told him, they said, the, the, uh, the older brothers said, look, we can't even go back unless we bring the brother down. We can't do it. And Judas said unto the father, send the lad with me and we'll arise and go, that we may live and not die. Everything was in desperate straits. And thou and also our little ones, I'll be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. So, boy, God was pushing their, their flesh here because they had been guilty of, you know, betraying their, their brother Joseph. And the Lord's pressing the issue here. Except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. And so he, Jacob comes to a place where he knows that the welfare of the entire tribe depends on what he decides here. If he just wants to hold on to Benjamin, it becomes selfish all of a sudden because is he going to let, is he going to allow a whole tribe of people, 70 some souls to die? He had to make this decision. He had to do what was best for the most for the, for the crowd. And their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so, so now do this. Take of the best of the fruits of the land in your vessels, carry the man down a present a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds, and take double money 
in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouths of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure, it was an oversight. I skipped over that part, but take also your brother. So he's resigned. He knows that he must look out for the welfare of many over just one. Take also your brother and arise, go again unto the man. And then he prays and he says, and God Almighty, give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. What an endurance this man went through. And the men took that present, took double money, took Benjamin, went down. And of course, Joseph continued to prove them. He puts his cup in their sack and, you know, they leave with the, the required provisions. But the, the silver cup of Joseph ends up in Benjamin's sack. And of course, they slice it open and there it is. And they have to go back then. And now Joseph really has them. He really has them where, where he wants them. You know, the servant, he does what Joseph says and he fills the men's sacks with food. And put, he says, put my silver cup in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. He did this for a purpose. So when the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, you know, they're leaving, but they chased after him, found the cup in Benjamin's sack, and they rent their clothes. These brethren rent their clothes and laid it every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto, unto them, What deed is this that you have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? Well, they couldn't. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Their consciences, their guilty consciences, spoke at that moment. And behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. They could do no other. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace and go to your father. Well, now begins the entreaty of Judah on behalf of the father. And God had to bring this around full circle. These men needed to go through this repentance period. Then Judah came near unto him, to Joseph, and said, O oh, my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. And he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. See how the Lord brought those brethren? They were so crass at the, and calloused and hard-hearted at the first when they first sold Joseph. Now look at them. They have this tender awareness of their father and his sufferings. God had to bring them full circle till they, till they reached this point of being humbled and repenting. And they say, oh, you cannot please my Lord. And thou saidest unto thy servants, except your youngest brother come down with you, you will see my face no more. And it came to pass when we came up unto my servant, my father, we told him 
the words of my Lord. And our father said, go again, buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father said unto us, you know, and he just flat out, you know, gets another audience with these brethren that are coming into heavy repentance here. So Jacob has his, his say with them. Jacob says this, you know that my wife bare me two sons and the one went out from me and I said, surely he is torn in pieces and I saw him not since. And if you take this also from me and mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, this is Judah rehearsing this to, to, to Joseph. If I, if I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, if that be so, let it be so. It's good when that happens. Let your lives be bound up in each other's lives in the most wonderful and heroic and Holy Spirit-filled way. We are bound up. We are brethren. We are bound up in each other's lives. And this must continue till we lift off of this earth. So he said, he tells Joseph this, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, he's entreating Joseph, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Boy, did the Lord bring them full circle, did he not? All the vinegar was gone out of them. Mm -hmm. Genesis 45. Then, of course, here's the great reunion. And, of course, Joseph's hearing this, and he can hardly hold himself back from tears. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before them all that stood by him, and he cried, cause every man to go out from me. Because he had all these Egyptian servants around him, you know, and attending to him. Get every man out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. You know, he probably had the, the garb and the makeup and everything that those Egyptian princes had. He'd be hard to recognize by face. And so they didn't know who yet who he was. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And this, here's the election, the unchangeable power of God's election. Write in this statement, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. This is one of the most powerful statements in, in the Old Testament. For these two years hath a famine been in the land, and there are yet five years in the which there shall be near, neither earring nor harvest, 
And God, here's another powerful statement, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth. This is what I'm seeing out in front of me, Brother Tom. I'm seeing a posterity being preserved right now. You're it. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Now, that's a powerful statement of God's election. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and all of, a lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all of the land of Egypt. And then he said, haste you, and go up to my father, and say unto him, thus saith the son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. Well, this is a great family reunion. We've come, haven't we? Yeah, God brought me out of a snowbank in Alberta and put me in to the land of Goshen. Well, who's done that? That's only God, because I've lived totally by faith. I have lived solely by faith, completely by faith. So I have lived this, just like he brought Jacob into the land of, that was the best of the land. It was called the best of the land, the most fertile, the most prosperous. Well, he's done it for me. It's wonderful. So I've lived a good part of this. So as the story goes, they brought, you know, Pharaoh was all for it. And he just said, take your wagons and get down there. Pharaoh said to Joseph, take, say unto your brethren, this do laid you beasts, get you down into the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come unto me. And I'll give you the good of the land of Egypt and you shall eat of the fat of the land. I want that for every single one of you. Know that that is your inheritance. That's promised by God to each of you with your faith. Now you're commanded, this do, take your wagons, out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, bring your father and come. And then there's times when you have to move for God so quickly or God will advance you so quickly, you won't even look back at what you had, what you once had. He said, Pharaoh said, and regard not your stuff for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. So Pharaoh gives this order, go on down, and in verse 25, and they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. Well, he's older now and his heart fainted for he believed them not. It was just stress comes when you get older. Any kind of a sudden change for someone who's aged, it's stressful. It's not necessarily good news. So again, be careful how you lead your, your elders and how you tend to them. And he had to get used to the idea here. And they told him all the words of Joseph. So they kind of add to the message here, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, okay, now here's some visibility to this. Okay, now I'm getting used to the idea. All right, it must be true. And he was, but because he was older, it was just that news. He'd been from A to Z, like, don't tell me anything new already. You know, that's what stress does. He wasn't ready, for, wasn't prepared for this particularly. And it just come, oh, Joseph's alive now. You know, 
Years ago, they're coming to, oh, he's, now he's dead. He's torn a beast. Oh, oh well, well, hey, hallelujah, and Joseph's alive now. He goes, he just kind of shrunk at it. But when he saw the wagons, God lifted him up. The spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. See, God had to revive his spirit. He wasn't lacking in faith, but he was weary with the entire earthly journey. And as you get older, you get wearied mentally and physically and in many ways. So be careful how you handle each other and your elders. Okay, and Joseph sent to carry him. And then the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it's enough. That's all I want now. I'm just glad to know that my son is yet alive. He says, here's his ambition was, I'll go and see him before I die. See, he, again, this is old age talking. Let's start to recognize it because it's going to happen. It may be years, but there's a message in here for each of us. So he was brought down, him and all his seed. He came down into Egypt. All total, there were uh, 72 souls, counting the two sons that were born in Egypt. Israel actually said to Joseph, now after he saw him, they met and hugged and wept. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen thy face because thou art yet alive. In other words, I'm very glad, but this is all I can take. So that speaks of the man's almost impossible endurance. How much does God require of your elders? You each have to search that out and be fair in your assessment of it. Please be fair in your assessment. Because he, again, see, he, this was his state of mind. Okay, I'm ready to go now. I really don't want anything more happening in my life. I, I've had enough. I'm up to here with it. But anyway, <laughs> Joseph wanted his dad, he wanted Jacob to meet Pharaoh. So in Genesis 47, verse 7, Joseph, this is very interesting, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and set him before Pharaoh. Now, this is interesting. You'd think in the ordinary that Pharaoh would, you know, reach out and bless Jacob. Oh, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm going to bless you. No, that's not, that's not what the Bible says. It said, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh, not the other way around. Who has God with him? Pharaoh was just a natural guy. He needed what Jacob had. And Jacob extended it to him. That's amazing. Jacob blessed Pharaoh, not the other way around. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old art thou? Now, see, here's an assessment of Jacob's life. This was sheer endurance talking as he utters here. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And it says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. That was it. But see, it was just sheer endurance talking. He'd had enough of this life. And there comes times what, based on what re, God requires of his older folks and his elders that they've had it. And you just, you know, the younger ones have to get used to that idea and have to accept it. And sometimes 
I saw Bob go through all of this. I did. You know, every day was a total endurance for him. So kind of learn the wisdom of God behind all this. This is why I'm telling you. You can prolong a saint's days by very careful leading of the Holy Spirit. And that will be your comfort all of your days. So Israel, uh, verse 27, Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen. So do I. And I thank God for it. And I, I bless God's people as much as I can with what he gives me. And it says they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 140 and seven. Then the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he blesses the sons of Joseph. The, again, the younger was blessed before the eldest. He, he just, God had it arranged that way. The time came in Genesis 49 where he actually extends the blessings to the different children. Now notice in the first two, I'm not going to read them all, Genesis 49 uh, verse 1. And Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. But Reuben was a scoundrel. And here's what he says. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, but unstable as water. He said, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to my to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. And yes, he did that. Simeon and Lev Levi, they went and killed all these guys in Shechem. They are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. And he says, O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor be not united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will, they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. He says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Then Judah, different. Everything was different there. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the, in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. He said, Judah is a lion's whelp. Then he talks about Joseph here. Well, he's, he finishes the blessing on Judah here. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from beneath his feet until Shiloh come. He prophesied of the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as he says, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And that's something. Thousands of years later, this came to pass. And we're the product of it. Of his, even of his prophecy, we're the product of Jacob's prophecy here. <laughs> Shiloh has come, and we're gathered unto him, and he said so. It's just, it's just so amazing. Yeah, and uh, of course, there's a very special blessing he pronounces over Joseph. Verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And here's what we can claim, that our bow will abode in strength. And the arms of his hands 
were made strong by the, by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. There's the second prophecy of Jesus Christ being born, the stone of Israel, that stumbling stone, and a rock of offense, Jesus was. But to them who are called, he's, he's the blessed forever. Okay, so they buried, they ended up burying Jacob uh, <clears throat> in verse 33 of Genesis 49. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Now look, look at here how dignified and natural and normal it is to mourn and grieve for a season. Because God mends you up when you allow that. In Genesis 50, verse 1, And Joseph fell on his father's face. This is after he gave up the ghost. And wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the, the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians even mourned for him three score and ten days. Thus saith the Lord unto my saints, both near and afar off, in space and in time. My spirit is upon you and in you, because I have anointed you to preach good tidings unto the meek. I have sent you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of me and the day of my vengeance, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, my garden of Eden, that I might be glorified. This is your job as Christians, my faithful saints. One more for you, Sister Carol. Behold my daughter in whom I do delight, for this one doth indeed know how to fight the good fight. She doth fight the fight of faith daily for me, providing opportunities for others to be free, free to grow, to worship, and to pray, free to help others hear the words she doth say, forever faithful, forever true. Oh, how her love doth run deep for each of you. And yea, my daughter, how greatly thou art loved, pure and overflowing love straight from above, never ending, never ceasing, my love for thee doth grow. Let me proclaim it loudly so others do even know that one so faithful and, and true doth represent me. Lean in, listen in, my people, soar and be free. I do thank thee, my dear one, for bringing forth my word, for continuing to let glorious stories of faith be heard, 
Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, with the gospel of peace indeed. Thy feet are shod, thus saith the Lord thy God. That was prophecy. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. This is Get Your Love on Radio. Thank you so much for being here. What a packed show. What an awesome, awesome show. God is real, and it's simple. We could keep it book simple here on Get Your Love on Radio. We get to learn so much from the patriarchs, as you just heard, the unchangeable election of God. It's incredible. We also get to know how to escape the lies, how to escape the discouragement and rest in God Almighty. And that's what we got in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We do encourage you to reach out. Go to getyourloveon.org and you can contact us with your prayer requests, with your questions. If you'd like to hear about a certain topic that's been on your heart, feel free to reach out. And if there's a spirit that's telling you, oh, they don't need to hear from me or, oh, this isn't a good question, reject it. We love to hear from you. We want to hear from you. That's what we're here to do, is to share God's love through the truth of his word and to help us all keep our love on. Since we spent the last two hours doing that, let's make sure we keep our love on. And next week, of course, we will be back. I hope you have a beautiful week. And Lord bless you. It's a simple message, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. I keep my love on. If I were you... I'm a simple singer, but my heart and mind are strong. I keep my love on. Yes, I do. You must dream in color, ask your questions, because life does not give honorable mentions. Thinking more than two dimensions, in case your tightrope loses tension. 